the 11FS office in London for episode 92 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain and cryptography meet the changing worlds of finance, tech, and consumer products. Today we bring you Stablecoins Are Coming, Big Banks Back New International Blockchain Alliance, superhero-like, and how a guy named Colin Platt became the richest person in the world. All this and more on today's Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Simon Taylor, and I'm reunited with Colin G. Platt in human form. How, how are you doing, sir? Uh, feeling really rich. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not aware... Uh, <laughs> you're going to hear a lot about it today. You're going to hear a lot about it. But how was the economy outside of your presentation? Uh, it was excellent. Uh, I was jet-lagged the whole time, had a great time, uh, met lots of new people, caught up with old friends, uh, and generally enjoyed Seoul, and went to the DMZ where, of course, I shield all kinds of tokens across the board in North Korea because they love them. They love tokens in North Korea. That's that's news that you can take home and use in your day job, people. Um, we're not alone. Uh, we're joined by some fantastic guests. Of course, the returning Tina Baker-Taylor, who is the Executive Director at Global Digital Finance, TBT. Hello. Thank you for coming back. Thanks for having me. Friend of the show, FOTS, uh, Todd McDonald, co-founder and chief product officer at R3. How's life? Hey, Simon, I'm going to put that on my LinkedIn profile, if that's all right. Uh, uh, yeah, Blockchain Insider, friend of the show. Perfect. Make it happen. <laughs> uh, we got Stefan Moray um, joining us for the second time, I believe, who's MD, Global Head of Market Structure and Innovation for Financial Markets at ING. Longest job title. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, very great. Uh, happy to be back. Thank happy you. to have you back, sir. And of course, uh, Paul Gordon, founder and director of CoinScrum, uh, arguably the, the center point of the London blockchain ecosystem for many years. How are you doing, sir? Uh, very good, thank you. Always good to see you too. Always oh, good to have you with us, Paul. Uh, alrighty, first story this week comes from Nextra.com. Uh, big banks back new international blockchain alliance. Is there a bat signal? I think there is. Um, so Barclays, BBVA, Deutsche Börse, and Swift are among the financial services sectors named to join a new collective promoting the development of a global framework for the adoption of distributed ledger tech. Uh, more than 100 organizations from across different industries have signed up to the International Association for Trusted Blockchain Applications, or INATBA. Uh, INATBA... <laughs> will work towards the development of and adoption of interoperability guidelines, promote an open, transparent, and inclusive global model of governance for blockchain, pause that one, um, and maintain a permanent dialogue with public authorities and regulators. Um, so, uh, Tina, do you know any more about this one? What's the, what's the story behind this one? Well, so this initiative is championed by the EU Commission. So I think that's given it quite a lot of credibility out the gate. Uh, hence the enormous number of early members. Um, I believe R3 is a proud member. That's aren't correct. Todd? Yeah. Yep. Um, so the, the initiative is coming off of the EU Blockchain Industry Roundtable, um, which was hosted by the, the European Commission. Um, the board consists of some interesting representatives from large financial institutions like the BBVA um, down to or across to uh, token issuers like IOTA. And so, Ripple. And, and Ripple was also a member. Um, so, you know, from my perspective, um, which is probably different to um, a lot of people around the table, it does appear that um, 
trade associations around the blockchain space have become very in vogue. Yeah. Like everybody wants one. You were there first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we might have been there first, but we are open and inclusive and play nice with everyone. Uh, the more the merrier. Uh, we do need advocacy. We do need education. So I think it's awesome. Education is that one thing we keep butting up against. I mean, Todd, you must see this in your day job. Yep. But like a lot of people think, oh, is that not Bitcoin that called a thing? Uh, less and less over time, yeah. thanks to this podcast. But uh, I think, you know, in, with this uh, effort, so R3 is part of the task force that helped try to pull this together. Um, you know, you, you look at these these groups, uh, getting started is is kind of, it's not easy, but, you know, getting started is just the start. Um, really? So, yes, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think it's, if you look at, if you try to strip it away, uh, it's, it's a net positive for the industry. Uh, there's obviously a ton of participants that have signed up for this, but the real work's going to happen when, when people vote with their feet to get together. And, you know, Tina can attest to that. It's not about signing up. It's about putting the work in. Yeah. And then I, I think on the education front, uh, it is a constant education uh, with different market segments and uh, very much so that is in the bureaucracy or the, or the government side of things. I like that point about the press releases, you know, 1% of the yeah. job, like the, the work after the press release of not only doing the advocacy, but coming up with these standards and then getting adoption of them and seeing people use them. Yeah. That's the critical, Boy, howdy. Cr critically hard part. I mean, uh, Stefan, you know a little bit about getting people to work across market structures. I mean, what are your insights on, on the, where the hard work lays in front of an organization like this? Yeah, it, it, it's hard because in one way, I agree that there is a gap uh, in the industry where people need to be more aware of it and still education is a big part of it. Uh, so, so very welcome to have this initiative as well. Um, but but it's hard, right? So, so as soon as um, you have to get your hand dirty, you'll see that from 100, you'll go down to three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's, but I think it's, it, it, it's needed and, and, it will help to, to, to promote that to, as you say, deeper to the other organizations that were not as involved as the one uh, in the early stage um, who, who still doubt or have concerns or think about Bitcoin and, and, uh, and make those references. So, so, so to have this is a, it's pretty good news. I think it's helpful. That credibility halo of, of um, the, the European Commission involvement, I think is pretty important as well, as, as you said, Tina. So I have a question, Todd, specifically yep. for you. Mm -hmm. since you're part of the task force. So one of the concerns that I have more broadly is this, um, as I said, the proliferation mm -hmm. of different groups so, kind of focused on the same thing in some places, but maybe potentially different target audiences. Um, and it feels a little reminiscent of let's have a taxonomy. And then we had like 47 taxonomies, right? Because everybody needed to have their own. Um, and the end goal was to try and educate and influence policymakers. Um, and then they had 47 different taxonomies from which to choose from and still were confused. So how, how do you see, um, this, this particular group working with all of the other groups, maybe potentially the, the local jurisdictional based, um, initiatives so that we're talking with one voice? Yeah, I, th I think that's extremely important. And that's a lot of what we talk about with within GDF, and we're a member of that as well. So uh, getting started, patron I, yes, member, patron member, uh, getting started is the important part and capturing the energy uh, of different uh, segments of, uh, of government or uh, regulators, especially. And I think over time, getting started is important, because over time, uh, the participants realize that 
all this, everything is hard work, right? So the more you can streamline and coalesce and bring these groups together, I think it's quite important. And over time, it's inevitable that these, uh, these work efforts will start to come together. But I will say that uh, work in Europe will most likely be a bit unique in going through some of the uh, uh, regulations that have been rolled out with, say, with Dodd-Frank and sure. how to, to rationalize between the, the U.S. framework and the European framework. Uh, if we had waited around for those two groups to come together and, and mm. to sing as one, we never would have gotten anywhere. The, the European-centric view is always a little, uh, little different, and having folks on it is probably a valuable thing. Paul, uh, do you have any reflections on this one? Yeah, I mean, you'll remember, Simon, a long time ago in one of your previous lives, we set up uh, the UK Digital Currency Association, which uh, was yes. back in 2014. Mm -hmm. And, you know, early, early, um, you know, there were in, I think at that time in every region, uh, there was an attempt for uh, the establishment of the uh, such organizations. There was the Bitcoin Foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very early days. It was very difficult to get traction. You were only getting support from within what was then a very small young industry. Um, and at that time, you know, mentioning uh, the B word was just, you know, a no-go area. Mm -hmm. So attracting interest from kind of, you know, uh, uh, established enterprise businesses was, was virtually impossible. To, so, so to fast forward to now and to see these actually uh, you know, much better funded, much better organized, uh, versions come along. It just, it definitely shows progress in terms of where we've, where we've come. So that's only a good thing. Um, you know, they, they are, they're difficult to coordinate, I think. And as you say, you'll end up with 10 different such organizations yeah, potentially. Just a reflection, like massive redundancy of everybody doing the same thing all over the globe mm. and eventually coming towards some form of consensus. Interesting. I think the important part though is you say, I think, did you say IOTA and Ripple? Uh, oh, that, that's a different kettle of fish. Have they, have they joined? Yes, no, they well, have. They have one, joined. Was Iota in there too? Iota's on the yeah. board. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be more of that. I mean, look, I I'd think... I'd say the opposite, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe maybe I'm too cynical, but I, I, there's a lot of people out there that have raised a lot of money through retail investments, directly or indirectly. And then there's like that kind of legal side. And I just worry about... Um, the amount of advocacy, if I can say it charitably, uh, that those organizations are putting in, and you've named two of them, mm -hmm. uh, that are particularly prevalent in the UK and in Europe. Sure. No, I, I get that. I think there, look, I think, again, if we look back over that time, one of the big differences is that, you know, people on both sides of this kind of public blockchain, private DLT conversation recognize now that, hey, there's merits to both. And maybe at some point there will be a merging of them. You know, there will be some features of public blockchains that private DLTs get to benefit from and vice versa. Um, and there's probably things that, you know, both sides, you know, there's still a lot of experience and people that have been working on these protocols, these open protocols. And I think most people think they're not going to just go away. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I think there's a lot of experience out there, whether that means the kind of, you know, uh, we need to kind of remove that kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, having kind of unique projects, um, you know, represent themselves. And maybe there needs to finally be the establishment of a solid, you know, uh, organization that represents and brings in some of the most knowledgeable and best talent from within the kind of public blockchain space and represents that side of the industry as a, as a single unit, because otherwise we just, it becomes very difficult and to manage. Todd's point, that's sort of emerging, isn't it? You're yeah, getting this yes. creative destruction that's mm -hmm. sort of happening. Still, it's still the early beginning in a way, right? So, so, the, so it's normal. There is different in initiatives and different try. Uh, and so either you push to have heavy regulation and then the standard is the regulation and we probably don't want that. So, so 
we want to have that evolution that it will come more naturally to, to, to some point that people and, and will learn from each other. And the views on this will, will yeah. create sort of um, useful things. And, and, and I'm, I believe, as, as I think Todd does, that it, it comes down to who's doing the work. Yeah, it, it exactly. doesn't matter who gets the press release. It doesn't matter what the optics are. If you've done the work, everybody can see that and everybody can use that. And, and somehow, some way, that you know, yeah. the, the, the hard work uh, wins. Listen, I've got to move us to the next story, sort of linked to this from Coindesk.com. Apparently, Barclays, RBS, and Arthur Three, who's who'd have heard of them? Have cut property transaction times in a blockchain trial. I love this story. I do too. It's such a great story. <laughs> um, so our three affiliated Instant Property Network, IPN, um, <laughs> announced on Thursday that you trial- can find them on Channel Six. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. It sounds like um, it. So announced on Thursday that the trial uh, used test data to carry out a simulated property transaction of a distributed ledger system over a five-day. Period. The effort, the firm said, demonstrated that the real estate buying and selling process could be reduced from more than three months to less than three weeks. And a statement read, currently the property market uses paper and an email-based approach, which is complex, slow, and inefficient. So, Todd. Yes. What's going on here? What's going on? So this is really exciting. Also, I love talking about this because it's something very tangible that mm-hmm. when I go home and explain to my father what I do for a living, this mm-hmm. is the, the this is the use case I, <laughs> I explain to, to anybody that's gone through real estate or buying exactly. a, house anybody that's bought a house. Oh my god! Yeah. So, uh, so a couple things. Uh, so one, we were very proud to be part of this. It's called the Cordap trial. We had uh, uh, twenty or forty participants across twenty three countries that that went through this uh, Cordap trial. Uh, so if you look at what what are uh, blockchains good for, obviously, you know, there's the, the Richard Gaynor Brown point of coming to consensus on a set of shared facts. But what's also quite important is the evolution of facts over time, mm-hmm. especially when you have lots of different stakeholders. So um, in a transaction, you can have a real estate transaction, a buyer, a seller, a real estate agent, a lender, a legal firm, an insurance company, I'm not done, a surveyor. The tax authority and the land registry. By and my a lot count, of those that times is two. Nine two participants real estate times, agents. times two. That's 18. Two attorneys. Yeah, there you go. So it's very, very complex. Um, there's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of scope to start to bring in uh, the need for consensus over time. Mm-hmm. Now, do you need to have that consensus be distributed or centralized? Is something to, to debate. I think you know, maybe that's something we can discuss. Um, well, what we're seeing is that uh, there's tangible benefits to reducing the time for a, uh, pr- uh, a transaction to close. So I, I didn't know much about the UK property market before Ooh. last year or so, but this this effort really came out of a project uh, that um, this group, along with our three, we we were selected by Her Majesty's Land Registry on the Digital Street Project. So they're looking to digitize uh, all the real estate records of all of uh, the real estate within uh, England. In Wales, not Scotland, for some reason, um, but everything down to the to the Don't roundabouts. I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they are in effect trying to digitize this information, and once you have that that digital representation, uh, you can reduce the risk because there is some failure rate of like thirty percent of deals yes. closing because of yeah. whatever there is yeah. happening. And so uh, it's a great use case for blockchain because it's around uh, tangible benefits of uh, and also time to market, time for deals to close. Uh, better capital for those that are lending money, a uh, better visibility for the law firms and other other folks that are reducing their risk in 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 taking part in a very complex transaction. 
I'm all for getting rid of the pain in all of that process. Yep. Um, as, as somebody who's just been through um, sort of a small piece of that process, uh, my, my fiance remortgaged her flat. And as somebody who lives at that flat, I ended up having to print out a piece of paper, sign it with a wet signature and post it because uh, any sort of e-signature was not acceptable to that bank. And just stupid things like that times 18 um, just become absolutely ridiculous. And so I'm all for getting rid of um, paper uh, and, and generally getting rid of the even just email-based approach. But have you heard of something called PEXA in Australia? Yes. Yes. Uh, as of this afternoon, I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> did you saw it in the show notes? Uh, I did. Indeed. Um, so PEXA have been live in Australia since 2010, and they have a 100% digital e-conveyancing network, and they've settled more than $355 billion Australian dollars in that time. Now, they don't do the end-to-end process, but they do a fair chunk of the process for about five of the nine actors that you mentioned there, including some of the banks. So um, it, it appears to me that like, they're doing a lot of the process that the, the quarter yep. platform's doing without DLT. Correct. So do we need DLT or is well, think, DLT just a good solution? Think of things that you could secure within DLT that would be sufficiently different. So for instance, you have to produce all of these documents when you buy a house and then you typically send them either to your lender or your mortgage broker um, or you know the attorney that's handling your conveyancing and then they're going to send it on along the chain to other people. Inevitably, those things get lost, right? So they don't get secured. They they don't get attached. You have to send them over and over and over again. And somebody loses them. They claim they never received them, etc. So that's just a mess. But things like searches. So when I buy my house, I have to pay for a whole bunch of these land registry searches to be done that will be done again and again and again every time my house is sold. The land is the same. So why does every new buyer have to go and get the same information over and over? And from where? You why? should try custodian securities. They well, do that so, all the no, time. But, so that's, sorry, that's, that's an interesting point. So, so it is an implementation um, choice, right? So, so centralized architecture versus distributed architecture, 100%. So the Australia example, I, I cheated a little bit. Uh, John Reynolds, who's running this project, was in our offices today, uh, who runs uh, IPN. So I was asking his opinion on, on PEXA. And it's very similar to financial market infrastructure. If a marketplace agrees that this central entity is the, the canonical database and we all get behind that, that, that definitely can work. And I think Australia is an example of that. But what happens over time and what's happening in Australia is they've created a central party that has a lot of power and all the information. And now those, the, some of the participants that help set that up are now not quite so happy with how it's being executed or how much consolidation of power there is. That's, that's, so that's, that's one part. And the second part is, this is going back to all the use cases we've seen for blockchain. Um, I really love things like this because they, they provide incremental benefit when you get started. And we talked about reconciliation, reducing pain today, but they also uh, deliver benefits going forward. For so sure. most of the use cases I'm sure a lot of people see are, let's get it on a blockchain and then magic will happen later on. <laughs> Here you, do, you, you, you deliver or you relieve pain early on and then you do get those second order benefits because what happens when you have an asset like real estate on something like Corda. How how can you service that asset? How can how can the the cash flows associated with all these this long lived asset happen in a more frictionless way? Once you have a canonical record and and you have business logic where you're coordinating different actors around, and well, you can move it much further than that, right? Because 
there is a moving company, there is the electricity company, there is the phone company, there is a cable company, right? So as soon as you start to move the asset, you can also start to move your services behind it. And what I think is interesting about a centralized actor is there are only so many places that centralized actor could create a legal yeah. relationship. In theory, if I have this less centralized model, um, then in theory, they could all connect exactly. you know, more peer-to-peer, -peer, but then I still get into the standards war yeah. kind of mm. debate that, that I would have with any API. Yeah, no, I agree that. I mean, it is, this is a kind of a typical thing that maybe a while ago I would have uh, rolled my eyes and been somewhat cynical about. Mm -hmm. But I do see that. Um, and I think what you've also seen with a lot of projects such as yours, Todd, with R3, um, you know, a lot of this stuff over the last few years, I think uh, if people were honest with themselves, you know, they, they probably... Th you know, it's probably quite clear that they could have started doing this a long time ago, probably even before Bitcoin. Um, what a lot of these projects have done is motivate people to actually start collaborating more closely and building, you know, and, and I think the technology's come along, which has made that simpler. So I think it's another example of motivating people. You know, if you're directly dealing with the land registry, and I know they've had an ongoing project to digitize, um, you know, all of those records, but, you know, this is just another motivational tool to get them involved and then that will bring the passport office in and the you know DVLA and all these other projects will come in and then the level uh, the simplicity and the standardization will just kind of motivate everyone to move quicker so i think that's the probably the most positive thing about well, it. and i think also the the fact that when you're not centralizing like if you wanted to create ultimate efficiency you would centralize every government department all the land registries all of the banks and everything but then what you've done is you've created something that's um, the greatest hacking honeypot in history so efficiency is centralization but in aggregate it's risk um so so is equifax yeah there you go equifax is a classic example so then how do you how do you balance those i think it becomes an interesting question colin punch holes in this punch holes in this i look i i think somebody described it to me a while ago and said the best thing about blockchain is it's a big like pledge to beat over everybody over the head and get somebody somebody to fix a basic problem yeah and like the digitization scanning paper accepting digital signatures is the big problem um, we can distribute it. And that's, as Todd said, a choice. Um, I think there's more efficient and less efficient ways to do it and something in between. I'm really glad they're not doing it on like top of Bitcoin or Ethereum because that's incredibly inefficient. Um, but, you know, a little bit of inefficiency and in making this redundant only 50 or 75 times is probably a better way than 10,000. And, and the sort of the land registry community is, 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 is very interested in this and in, not just here in the UK, but Overall, and there needs to be some level of comfort for these land registries to be able to hook into systems that have that right balance between uh, connections and, di and distributing nature, but also the privacy. But also think about how incredible it would have been if we had Donald Trump's real estate records on a blockchain. <laughs> or <laughs> had the transparency, he would actually, would, well, then PDF we would know what, what his taxes PDF, would be. Yeah. 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 Uh, there would be some, some privacy debates for sure. I was just laughing inside when you guys were talking about I had to sign one piece of paper because I just bought a house in France and oh my God, you have to sign a lot of paper. You know the word bureaucracy? The French invented that for a reason. <laughs> but we know. Uh, we know. Yeah. <laughs> you know the people. No, but that's, that's what of the challenge with this type of project. It's the law and, and the workflow is very different in each country, even within Europe, right? So, so it may work well for England and Wales, but then it may not work well for France and Italy and Spain and Holland. And you know what surprises me about France is like everything centralized in France except for the notaries that have yes. to like sell your house – 
it's like specific to every single town. They like, try it's to ridiculous. change it. They want on strike, like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Of course. I mean, but if there was anything ever more French, strikes um, on a blockchain. Yeah, there we go. Just <laughs> tell me when. <laughs> but don't worry, guys. According to medium.com forward slash cheddar, um, the IBM blockchain is live and bank stablecoins are coming. So, Hallelujah. Uh, six international banks are planning to issue their own stablecoins on IBM's stellar powered money wiring service. Um, so, um, unlike Ripple, IBM is not the issuer uh, of this uh, this settlement coin. Um, some of the banks involved include um, Brazil's Banco Bradesco, South Korea's Bank Busan, and the Philippines' Rizal Commercing ba- Commercial Banking Corporations, as well as banks IBM has yet to name. Um, so, um, what do you think about this one, Colin? Uh, rest in peace, Brad Garlinghouse. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Come on, these guys have been at it for, what, a year and a half, and they've done a whole lot more. <laughs> um, it's still a stupid use case. Like, stable coins on public blockchain networks are dumb. Like, that's it. Um, but if you're going to do it, apparently they're doing it on things like Ethereum, things like Stellar now with IBM. Great. I, I still don't see why they're doing it. Yeah. But why, why would somebody want a stable coin? What problem could a stable coin solve, well, like tokenizing I mean, a fiat. fixed unit of value is great. Yeah. But you also have to like run into things like laws and regulations, and throwing that into public blockchain network is well, a good they're way. They're combining to get to... they're combining the complexity of stablecoins with also cross border. That's it. And in this particular article, they're talking about you know more the financial inclusion play. Which, if you're looking at some of the POCs that Ripple is delivering um, around X Rapid, I think those are all based in like ASEAN countries Mm. right and and focused on cross-border what i thought was interesting here was this this also was coming out of you know ibm in the u.s where they're saying well this could replace aca trails and i thought if we can't replace swift what makes them think that stellar is going to replace the aca trails swift is fancy email with kyc Blockchains don't wow. replace Swift. <laughs> That's a Swift is fancy email yeah. with KYC. Like, yeah, kind of. Changed my mind. I, 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 I would go one further. It's fancy XML with KYC. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, blockchains don't compete with Swift. And, and the fact that some companies are out there saying we're competing with Swift means they don't understand money transmission. And I don't claim any expertise in, in payments. I, I freely say I really don't understand what these things are. But I know that Swift does not send money; it just sends messages. Right. I don't. And that's I think what the what they're saying I, I, I here. I don't as well. quite follow the ACH comment here, though. Yeah. It, I mean, so um, it, so there's so in in looking at this a little bit, there there's a lot of hops here, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, step one is is I want to make a payment into some other country from uh, my home country, so I get onto this network and then. A stablecoin is issued in my home currency, which then needs to be bridged by lumens into the other currency. So potentially I'm in Brazil trying to send money to the Philippines and I go from uh, bank credit stablecoin to lumens into bank credit Philippine peso and then gets paid out. Yeah, I, I wonder like how how many, what's the dollar value of transactions from uh, from that corridor on a daily basis? 
uh, multiples of what it would be between lumens and every other currency. Well, well fair, but like <laughs> th- these seem like some odd corridors to start with, like Brazil to Philippines and 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 well, how balanced are they as well? Because I mean, in years ago, people were experimenting using Bitcoin to solve this same problem, yeah. and then it becomes a liquidity issue. Um, it flow more flows going in one direction because mm-hmm. uh, you're really not sol- solving anything there. Um, and you know that's the question I have over this. Over this, they're saying they're they're, they're talking about using lumens as a bridging currency which is hardly the most liquid asset in its own right as well and like many things in this space where people kind of get excited about the tech think they've solved one problem which might not be a problem in the first place and they've probably then created 10 more behind it yeah so, so why um, might a tier through two three four bank be interested in some other service than swift is it you know is is transacting via the the flow monsters the, the the wells the cities the jps of the world something that they seem beholden to in terms of cost well, those, those fourth tier banks might not necessarily they might be using a correspondent bank so they want to remove the correspondent bank yeah. completely because they're not city well, exactly. Um, and it's a way for them to innovate in a way or to try something. So they will get some headlines. Get some talking on this yes. podcast. We get exactly. coverage. Yeah, so you've got a headline, I'll give them that. But, but what I think is interesting about this is, like, wouldn't you start at airtime minutes and market making those across local geographies? Like, that to me seemed like a, a better use case. Or, like or, or maybe integrate to things like Swift or Swift GPI. Yeah. Or, maybe or, have some kind of settlement system based yes. off of your DLT's movement. Yes. We're, yes. I, I'm helping you. On thank you very much. <laughs> I think and it all boils down to is until you've got central banks issuing their own stable yes. coins, that's, and that's always been the argument. I mean, it's always been, you know, that has always been the issue. You, yeah, can, there you is. can kind of, you know, you have, you have all these tiers, but eventually you won't have the ultimate trust and efficiency that you need, potentially, unless you've got central banks issuing this. So, so buried in the press release is something that came up previously, uh, which I had forgotten, which there, there, there is a U.S. dollar stable coin on Worldwire by, I believe it's Stronghold Bank or... Oh, okay. uh, um, so I think there is some float of USD in this network. The question is how much liquidity, I suppose, and and how much risk. Yes, uh, yeah, against against yeah, stronghold US uh, as, as a bank sounds quite strong. Uh, it's, it, a, it's a good name. You have if, to be if fair. If yeah. determinism is a thing, then you know, then then it's pretty strong and stable. Um, but we know how that went down. Um, Brexit jokes aside, um, we'll it's time for our ad read. And uh, since Todd's here right uh, right now, I'm going to say this episode is brought to you by friend of the show, Todd McDonald and R3. Thank you very much. Uh, blockchain is not just for FinServe. Tons of industries can reap major benefits, insurance, healthcare, pharma, automotive, and it seems real estate. Exactly. Uh, and discover the potential of blockchain for your business with R3's quarter platform. R3's quarter platform offers privacy, interoperability, integration, and consensus, plus the mission-critical features that every complex business needs, including the world's only blockchain application firewall. You know it. Uh, what is that? What's the blockchain uh, firewall? Yeah. It's a reverse proxy. Anthony Lewis told you this last yes, week. Yes, he did. There See, I go. do listen to your show. <laughs> and, and until, the ad, until the ad read, basically. Yeah. And you're also members of ITNAPA. Or whatever it's called. <laughs> it's an Atba. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, oh, Colin. Uh, for more information, head over to r3.com. Alrighty, on with the news. Um, Cointelegraph.com, the CME Group Bitcoin Futures reported record trading volume uh, on the 4th of April. So Bitcoin Futures hit an all-time high at over 22,500 contracts on the uh, 4th of April, which is equivalent to uh, around about uh, 100,000, uh, 112,000 Bitcoin 
Bitcoin or around $600,000 at press time um, in a day. Uh, the previous record uh, was around 18,000 contracts equivalent to 64,000 Bitcoin. Of course, Bitcoin gained 27% over Tuesday to Wednesday of the past week uh, with Fundstrike Global Advisors uh, co-founder Thomas Lee claiming that um, since it has now become broken over the 200-day moving average, Bitcoin is currently in a bull market. Boom. <laughs> what? Um, uh, that was a mouthful. Uh, yeah, that was. Can, a, can I just point? To be fair, I wasn't booing you. Just uh, that the, hack. the bull market. Yeah, yeah. The idea that it's a it's a bull market from um, from Funstrat. Yeah, but yeah. isn't Funstrat's always pushing the idea that, like the he's bull been, market? He's been calling for a hundred thousand. Yeah. Well, I have to. Well, so have I. But I mean, yeah, hundred thousand PTK. But price go no, up. No, no, no. They're, they're all <laughs> long. They're long up to their eyeballs, so they have to talk it up. So it has to be a bull run. It has to be a newborn. Always, always. But I, I do like the fact that we're talking about like one day all time high volume. Six hundred thousand. That's yeah. so. It's so few. That it does nothing. And it's futures, right? I'm sure, that is so, not a typo. And, and a bear spot market. What else are you going to trade? Well, uh, it's all. This has been inevitably story. Always chases price, and so crypto is in a in a bit of a bull run. Yeah, and so everyone needs to explain why that is, and they keep searching around for reasons. But there's a William Goldman was a he was a um, the guy that's a that has wrote a lot of Hollywood movies, and he always said. Nobody knows anything. And that's the same thing with markets. Nobody ever knows why markets go up or down, but they claim to. And then oh, they go on CNBC and tell more you. More buyers and sellers and more oh, sellers than buyers. Yeah, they never equally eyes. match out either. They never do. <laughs> um, I, to be honest, as a contract, though, I mean, as a former derivative trader, it's, it's actually not too bad. I've, I've been around and seen many failed contracts that have been launched by you know, Urex and CME. Yeah. And this Urex is actually special. far more successful mm -hmm. than those. Who's trading it is the question. Probably, most likely. I mean, I saw some stats here from that were just published, I think, on the back of this. Um, that claims that I think, you know, a good, healthy, I don't know, what's that looking like? 65% is what is classed as funds. Um, I'm guessing that probably includes the various market makers that are trading spot market as well. Probably CTAs, yeah. Um, and that's fine. Um, but if that's the majority of the market, it's not really very insightful in terms of what new entrants are being attracted in by the contract. It's obviously very useful if you're a kind of, you know, high frequency trading or alg algorithmic trading firm and you're trading across the spot market. And I think that's probably the majority of it. Um, but the question is, in the long run, I think that punches a Who's hole. Who's coming in? It punches a hole in that the the institutions are coming. The institutions are coming, which a lot of people like to talk up. Which which they're, they're clearly not. But the institutions that are evolving out of being spot market dealers and and trading venues into using these future contracts is is a different conversation. And I think that's a fair point. And of course, this comes back on the back of a couple of stories. One in Forbes, and I think I forget who the other one was. Was that it punched holes in the ideas of you know ninety to ninety five percent of the trading volume appeared to be wash trading. And very little of it from some of the major exchanges was real. Um, so there's That's still, almost as good as PTK. I, well, I was going to say there's there's some still some real questions about um, whether or not you can believe uh, can believe the the volume conversation here. So yes, you can move the price, but uh, you know it, it does that mean there's a fundamentally valuable asset here? I think the jury's still out. All right, moving on. Uh, the tokenist.com. What you need to know: understanding the SEC's new security token. That's the real headline. Um, I think it's probably their token guidance. Um, after a long while, the SEC has finally put out some guidelines on how to know if digital assets are securities. Um, if the distributed ledger uh, network is fully developed and operational, 
if the token meets the needs of users rather than speculative value, if the token can be immediately used for its intended functionality, if the token has a limit to increase its value, and if the, if the rise in the token's value is incidental and secondary to its function, if the token is integral to the platform or secondary market, if the token can be used to make purchases as a substitute for a currency. If the digital asset meets one of these criteria, then the chance of it failing the Howie test is much higher, but not guaranteed. Mm. My favorite take on this was from Stephen Paley. He said, I've read this a couple of times and had a chance to sleep on it. And wait for it. The bottom line is the law hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they've been saying yes. the same thing. Like yeah. people are getting very excited. Like we finally have guidance. And it's like every time the SEC comes out like a month later, everybody forgets. And they're like, we're different. We're blockchain. We're crypto. We got it. We're different. Mm -hmm. And then we wonder what the SEC thinks about us. And they come back and they say, actually, nothing's changed. I think that's that's the interesting thing here is um, there's been some argument for quite some time that says, um, oh, well, uh, is it utility? Is it not? And I think it was actually the FCA guidance that went into, yes, in theory, in some cases, you could have something that does function like a utility token um, rather than a pure exchange token. But overwhelmingly, that's not what you see in the, the ICO bubble of 2017. Most of it was speculative. But the FCA has also taken a less definitive stance. So within their guidance, they make it very clear that a token can change which bucket it sits mm -hmm. within based on wherever it is in its life cycle, right? So it doesn't necessarily, it's not mutually exclusive of the other token types. It can migrate between them. So what does Which this is similar, mean? kind of, actually, if you break down this guidance, because ultimately, each case is going to be reviewed on its particular circumstances, right? So that so there is no real decision tree. Right. But but from there's almost no token that's going to uh, qualify under these guidelines um, that we've seen to date, I can't imagine, to be a utility token or to, or to escape the Howey test, right, from how they described it. But I, I would imagine, and maybe it's, if there is any reason for the recent sort of bull run, potentially it's uh, shitcoins getting pumped up a little bit based on bad legal advice of uh, looking at what the SEC has said and, right, and giving, so giving, some, well, giving they, some of a green light to bring yeah. some of these really terrible tokens well, back to market. They released the, the no action letter the same day that they released this guidance, right? right? And they basically said, okay, this one company that – owns three private jets and issued a token within right. this closed platform but that only members can use. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Yes, as long as you launch a token with none of the usefulness of a token, Correct. you're totally fine. Yeah. I think, I mean... And you don't give it to anybody else. Yes, exactly. <laughs> don't you, talk about it, don't look at it. Yeah. You'll probably see the market decide because the reality, reality is that most of these things that have been issued, especially over the last couple of years, do have no utility whatsoever. Um, and they will eventually go the way of many of these things before and just disappear. So, you know, the market will probably decide for, for everyone else. But in the meantime, people are still going to attempt to kind of launch these things or issue them. I think the FCA did the right thing. They said, if you're issuing a security, kind of all, all, well, the law, all the laws apply. Why, why wouldn't they? It feels a little, yeah. um, not that it's secondary at all. That's not what I'm saying. But it seems to me that they're actually more concerned about you know, the shilling, 
the pumping, yep. the the bigging up the value. Uh oh, Colin. Uh oh, Colin. Really oh, I know. I know. <laughs> so you know, I mean, really, at the animal. end of the day, they're they're basically saying if if the value of your token depends on some external force or some third party to you know shill the crap out of it, then it's probably uh, not it's okay. Like regulators have an issue with people manipulating the price of assets for their own gain at the expense of retail. That's really weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's probably the first time in history that's ever happened. As indeed, well. indeed. All right. Um, well, the next story comes from the FCL. This is my favorite story of the week, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> so, so let's just read out the publication. It comes from the uh, FT Alphaville, um, sort of part of the Financial Times group. Um, and the headline reads uh, How a guy called Colin Platt became the richest person in the world. Colin, um, is that you? I'd like to meet this guy. He sounds cool. <laughs> So go on. What's going on here? Um, literally, all the things that we just said were really bad. I did, yeah, on purpose. Like I, I spent some time last year creating a token. It, I invested the equivalent of thirty dollars in ether to create a token worth three times the value of all the money on the planet. Um, Talk us through how that happened. Well, very easily. I created a token. And then I pumped it up on the decks because nobody asked any questions. But how long did it take for you to create that token? Um, like County finishing minutes? the beers and writing up the article about half day. I probably could have done it quicker if I didn't spend all my time on WhatsApp. Uh, and so when you were pumping up the value, just talk us through what that actually means for somebody who's not pumped well, up the value of a token before. The great, <laughs> oh, I will make an instructional video, but you can read my blog post about it and it pretty much walks you through. Um, one of the issues that I had is if you freely trade your token, um, and this is something that a lot of big centralized bridge currency making companies have done, mm-hmm. is you hold back a lot of them and then you give everybody the feeling that you're doing stuff by creating lots and lots of accounts and trading with yourself. It's called wash trading. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy to do and you just decide what price you want it. So I decided that every token need to be worth uh, a quarter million dollars. And given that I had 15 billion of these things, that meant that it was worth 3.6 quadrillion dollars. That's like a 3.6 with 18 zeros behind it. It's a, it's a big number. <laughs> it's a big number. But it's not quite as big as, um, actually we presented this idea last week and we got uh, some new advisors Big names, you may have heard of them, Vitalik Buterin, uh, Professor Nuri Rubini, they wore our t-shirts, uh-huh. um, and we presented this thing, and, and Vitalik said, I really like the idea, I'm going to buy 10 to the negative 25th of one of these for 20 Hong Kong dollars, um, which means we're now worth three point no 390 decillion dollars. Which this is, is like this is the PTK company. This is, is that? PTK it's a foundation. foundation, a company or foundation? It's a foundation, foundation, but it's it's technically not a foundation. Oh. so it's spelled with a PH. Okay, yes. <laughs> just to <laughs> differentiate it from an actual foundation. So, so Vitalik bought twenty five Swannies. Uh, no, Vitalik bought way less than a Swanee. He bought like a, a mini Swanee. Okay. <laughs> so, and I guess look, um, you then went on to present this on the Deconomy conference. So you you talked, you gave the pitch of how you became the richest person in the world, and you talked, uh, you gave the example of scale of like how much money moves in the global economy and how much PTK was worth, and you proved that you, your your token was worth more than all of the global economy. The thing is, when you tell people that like, look, there's a lot of really like what like what we say on the show pretty much every week. Um, there's a lot of crap and a lot of scams going on. But if you tell people that, they're like, well, my token's different. If you show them how easy it is, um, the hope is that they'll actually look at it and go, oh, I may have put money into something that looks a whole lot like that. Uh, yeah, but didn't some people come up to you after the talk? Yeah, I actually had a couple people that offered to help me get it listed on Binance, which I had already covered out because we gave CZ a shirt and yeah. he, he's totally in. 
<laughs> Which one? I love the fact that so many people from the community, the CZs, the the Vitalik's, and everybody and Neuro played along, um, because I think everybody sort of gets the the ridiculous end of it. And there's a lot of people with different points coming. There were a lot of people that didn't as well. Yeah, but there's there's this there's this overhang of 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 so many people in the crypto industry that were front and center with the entire shitcoin bubble that made a ton of money and then have stepped away and started to judge everything oh, after yes. the fact. Yeah. It's I like, I don't understand how they can have so much distance from the market that they helped create they don't have and the bags that they moved to retail. They just don't have shame. I think that's, and I think that's a, a point that history will judge, but I think uh, Colin's performance art um, is, is is really something to read. Um, We're more decentralized in the solar system. <laughs> but, 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 but this does happen, though, all the time, where you have a, a coin launch at ICO, and then uh, the funds they've raised from that gets invested in another coin. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's all of these, and then and then they can and then they put it into an ecosystem fund that invests in five other coins. Man, this is great. I'm taking notes here. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's crazy because as you said right they try then to go to the normal financial markets to try to disrupt the, the, the institutional economy um, and it will not pass the test it right? sounds, the a, same lot, thing. It wow. sounds wow. a lot like mortgage CDOs to me yeah. let's just tranche it up vanity numbers vanity headline numbers that meant nothing because most of these well a lot of these projects didn't manage to hedge so they didn't raise what Kind of the headline said they raised in some spurious cryptocurrency that is now worth a tenth of what it was when they raised. So, you know, I mean, it looked good. Again, it's headline grabbing, but it's not real. None of it was real. I, I think what's interesting though is is we have Somehow. seen versions of this in financial markets with CDOs and yeah. and and, and uh, that sort of many children. Yeah, tr- yeah tranche up, bro down. Yeah, <laughs> that was actually one of my slides. At <laughs> 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 the Cartman, uh, like one, two, three, four. Finish with bro down. Can you explain your filed your tax return yet, Colin? Uh, <laughs> if you're listening from the IRS, I, I only made only 20, 20 Hong Kong dollars. dollars exactly. out of this deal. <laughs> it was only twenty dollars, but it should be filed. In, in real be. money. Um, yeah. <laughs> but can you explain some of the hashtags of uh, hashtag uh, always be shilling? Oh well, of course. This is the most important part. Is it's backed by proof of shill because well, we have nothing else. <laughs> so the only way the number is going to go up is by shilling it to everybody else. And uh, hashtag price go up. Uh, well, so this is this is part of the genius of it. We deleted any function that would allow the number to go down, so it can only go one way. And that's <laughs> are, you, are you thinking of introducing a delegated proof of shill at some point? Because we think thought that about could that. Be an improvement. So we hired Anthony Lewis from R three. <laughs> um, he's he's a delegate for this. No, I, I joke. Uh, Tim Swanson is actually the delegate. He's, he's all in. He told me he's all in. I sent him a non-million dollars the other day. Yes, he's no longer a no coiner. Yeah. Wow. And this was for services rendered. Actually, Larry Cermak is no longer a no-coiner either. I have broken so many no-coiner cherries. <laughs> <laughs> There's the title of the show. Alrighty, a couple of more stories to cover. Um, apparently from Coindesk.com, it's time for a blockchain Brexit. Um, there's a crisis in governance um, talking about Bitcoin, um, not talking about Bitcoin, but Brexit. Uh, in the internet age, the governance borders that matter the most are not being bound along geographical or political lines. They're based on time, an invisible metric that is fairer and arguably the hardest of hard borders. You can't go back in time. And if you get down to it, this concept of border in time is what blockchain really represents. What? When the withdrawal agreement doesn't mention the internet, a big zero... Where does one even start with a multi-stakeholder process? See, I thought my story was the most satirical one of the week. I refuse to click the link on the story. I didn't want to be sullied I, with I, the cookies I, of the story. I had the misfortune of reading the whole article. 
<laughs> so, so the and author is time I'm never getting back. The, the, the author is a chap called Pindar Wong, who's the chairman of Verify Hong Kong and a member of CoinDesk's advisory board. Which screams I know everything about Brexit. Uh, this one. Uh, <laughs> an internet pioneer, he co-founded the license, first licensed internet service provider in Hong Kong in 1993. Total expert on Northern Ireland politics. There was, there was a, uh, during the, this backstop debate early on, uh, was it Philip Hammond or someone actually got on the news and said, I'm not sure what this, this is, but I've heard that blockchain could fix the border problem. So, so obviously, they obviously got, they got it's my obviously the same guy whispering in as obviously one of the government's <laughs> advisors. <laughs> but, but I think this idea that a border is time is, is pretty esoteric. Um, even, even by Brexiteer standards, like that's, that's pretty out there. But you can get the stable coin thing in, which is great. Like, if you're going to write an article about this, you got to get stable coins. He got, we need stable coins on euros and sterling. He's in. I think Jacob Rees-Mogg would go for that if it meant he got his Brexit. So, <laughs> um, all right. And, and in weird and wonderful stories um, from, uh, from various uh, uh, kind of publications, <laughs> the BBC, um, they, on their what website, the fuck is wrong with your country? <laughs> um, crypto for care homes. Um, apparently... Kalulun Group, which describes itself as the UK's leading innovator of care services, um, is creating what it called C-Coin. Um, take that, Cotton. I got nothing to do with that. <laughs> uh, this, the breakthrough blockchain technology will provide all residents at Kalulun's a lifestyle resorts and care homes with a safe and secure currency. Yeah. Uh, whilst, bad. So we're going to shill unusable cryptocurrency directly into these old oh, no, folks totally straight to their home but what you're gonna <laughs> do is you're going to uh, ask potentially vulnerable people to yes. give you all their fiat and then you're gonna give them monopoly money and that's how they're gonna pay for their doctor's visits and their rent and a bunch of people just got arrested last week uh, in South I, Korea gonna, for that. so i'm gonna take the other side of this i think okay. this is a great idea you so don't. imagine how much fun this would be like think about think about all the time that senior citizens spend at casinos with slot machines <laughs> that's now, true now they can just, finance. just go straight up to it's binance like, and they could they, they, just, they can go, they can open up their own telegram groups in the, in the care home and start pumping things up. Howdy power for the care home. I think it's, gonna be, it's fantastic. Well, I stand corrected. Yeah. Br- bring it on. Zimmer frames, mobile phones, and crypto. Exactly. The, the, yeah. coin. You know, the closed loop economy, this could open yeah. up, which is what crypto has been looking for. You know, all these peripheral services that we could, you know, take that funeral, Bristol pound. funeral services. I love this. Get off my lawn coin. I, I think it's amazing. <laughs> I can teach them how to set up their own ICO. Yeah, exactly. That's You're great. The, the richest care home in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is because it's on a blockchain, all of this is there indelibly forever. I, I think to be fair to these guys, um, the, these C coins were being guaranteed against the cost of care, and they were willing to buy back any of these C coins for at least sixty-three pounds of the seventy pounds they put in. With no, a seriously, thing. it's actually not a bad utility coin. It, it's, it's it's probably already the best utility coin p- pitch I've ever seen. So the, the weird thing about this is uh, there is a genuine problem in OAPs carrying cash in care homes and the vulnerability that comes with that. So genuine problem, weird solution. Like I, I can totally see like having a digital way for multiple custodians and family members to help manage the payments to a care home yes um potentially using dlt under there somewhere maybe possibly uh, don't know probably sounds a bit more like it needs stripe.com on a website i but, liked you know. the idea <laughs> until, yeah. until i read that they could be tradable and sold on an exchange That's then they lost boom. me 
And that's just unacceptable. Um, no. I, I do not want to trade care home tokens. I want to make sure that the, <laughs> the OAPs are well looked after. Right? Yeah. Come on. I want them on BitMEX today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trade them against PTK. 100x. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Exactly. Oh you should see Paul's face right now. No. <laughs> Sorry. That's why we're not doing All right. Uh, <laughs> stories we didn't have time to cover. The block crypto.com. Miners shocked by electricity price. Nice work, headline writer. Um, miners are shocked by an electricity price surge in Washington. Um, we should have covered that story. Really. Yeah, well. Um, Coindesk.com. Google searches for Bitcoin hit. Uh, the highest total since November. Um, BlockCrypto.com, Russia's Gazprom looks to adopt blockchain for its gas operations. Go on. Uh, and from Reuters, China says it wants to eliminate Bitcoin mining. Well, there you go. Um, that's the end of the uh, bull run. Uh, this week's Tweet of the Week comes from Vitalik Buterin. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. What's it about, Simon? Uh, Vitalik <laughs> writes, uh, he just brought 10 to the minus 25 <laughs> units of PTK from Anthony underscore BTC for 20 Hong Kong dollars. Excited to be participating in the highest market cap world changing revolution ever. Did he quote a tweet in that? Uh, I believe he did. Um, he quoted this guy, Colin Platt, who said, the PTK Foundation welcomes our latest advisors, Neural and Vitalik Buterin. Hashtag always be shilling. Hashtag number go up. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and and we're all wearing shirts. What do they say on them? <laughs> PTK Foundation. Yes. You're you're like the Joaquin Phoenix of crypto. Oh, I'm worse. <laughs> I'm worse. It's unbelievable. It is just performance art. Uh, thank you for this comedy as ever. Um, I mean, any thoughts on the serious point being made here, or should we just call this one to a close? Oh, I think we already covered the serious point. Do yeah. not buy tokens. Done. <laughs> I know, that bombshell. Um, ladies and gentlemen, just to remind you all, uh, this podcast is made by 11FS, and we're a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of financial services. We also create truly digital propositions, working with banks, big techs, and all kinds of companies who want to get the most out of where finance meets their customers. If you want to hear more Blockchain Insider every single Thursday, the subscribe button's right there. And how could you not subscribe when the world's richest man in history is on the show on a regular basis? Um, Give us the five stars for the richest man in the world. Or the 3.6 quadrillion stars. Yeah, there you go. You just you can break Apple. Just keep now. reaching for the stars. Just keep reaching for it. Wow. Um, alrighty. Uh, where can people find out more about you, Tina? At on Twitter at, at Tina Taylor or at gdf.io. And also, I wanted to let everybody that listens to Blockchain Insider know that GDF will be launching our self-attestment, our self-attestation registration scheme this month, which means that all GDF members will be able to publicly attest their compliance to our code of conduct. So absolutely check that out at gdf.io. Brilliant. Uh, what about your good self, Paul? Uh, Meetup.com forward slash Coinscrum or Twitter at Coinscrum. Love it. Um, what about your good self, Stefan? On LinkedIn, Stefan Malray on LinkedIn. Brilliant. And Todd? R3.com, Corda.net, and at McDTV, friend of the richest man in the world on Twitter. 
Oh, no longer a friend of the show. He's now a friend of CGP. He's moved on. I think you'll find he's dropped all his friends. Exactly. I have a whole new set of friends. <laughs> have you changed? Are you different now? Uh, Anna Herrera from Reuters says that I have not, and it's quite refreshing. Really? You're, yeah. you, did, did you go out and like just did – you, did you make a purchase? Did you do anything big? Did you celebrate? Uh, we bought beers at the Schiller Hotel in Seoul. How did your family react? <laughs> that th- that uh, is the best they all part shirts. <laughs> that we haven't discussed is that Deconomy was at the Schiller Hotel. Of course it was. The Schilla. There they was were no shilling at the Schiller. You know it all was the duty free the Schilla. <laughs> all the duty frees in the Seoul Airport are called the Schilla as well, which is great. So well, naturally, I stole a bunch of stuff that said chill on it. There's something you can take into your bank and use on a daily basis if you're listening to this. <laughs> Unfortunately, PTK is not accepted by most banks, that, which is why we're buying the banks. <laughs> All right. Uh, and you can find me at SYTaylor with a giant face palm uh, on Twitter. All right. A big thank you to our amazing production team here at 11FS, producer Petrit and Alex, our editor. Thank you for listening. We'll, of course, have more Blockchain Insider next week. Goodbye for now.